It's Saturday, August 14th, 2021, and this is Markets Daily from Coindesk. I'm Adam B. Levine here again with your weekend story. On today's show, we're taking a retrospective look at the ICO era and the projects that lived or died in its aftermath. Today's episode is sponsored by Kava, Nexo.io, and Cello. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. Today's featured story comes courtesy of Coindesk's Brady Dale. ICO mania revisited, the investors and token issuers who made good. Four years on, it's time to reappraise the initial coin offering or ICO era, and the easiest way to do it is by looking at investors' portfolios. There's a certain class of crypto denizen who derides anything that isn't Bitcoin as garbage, and the long bear market that started in early 2018 certainly seemed supportive of that view. We're in a different time now, where much of the work funded by the largest ICOs has been deployed. Those products now have at least a base of users and their token prices reflected. Most of these projects haven't hit their speculatively driven early 2018 highs, but they're far above their bear market numbers. For a certain class of investors, this means well above their token presale prices. And just to recap, the ICO was a way to raise a lot of money from the public by selling some kind of blockchain-based token, a secondary cryptocurrency that runs on a distributed ledger that also has its own native coin, like ERC-20 tokens on top of Ethereum. ICO tokens didn't carry with them an ownership stake in any company. Instead, they were meant to provide access to some service later on. For example, a Netflix token might be good for one month of Netflix viewing. It wouldn't take long before the public started getting shut out of these sales for legal reasons, but the amount of money raised didn't slow down at first as deep-pocketed investors picked up the slack. According to Coindesk data, projects raised about $5.5 billion through 2017 and $6.8 billion through the first part of 2018, when the party came to a screeching halt. Many of these tokens were released to the public at the end of their sales, even though they couldn't do anything useful yet. That didn't matter, people would still trade them. But when word came out that the regulatory sharks were circling this funding model, prices across the crypto market tanked and didn't recover for a long time. That was the beginning of crypto winter. Nevertheless, startups found other ways to distribute tokens, such as offerings on exchanges or on automated market makers, or by using smart contracts. Quickly checking a few of the biggest ICOs, Augur's REP token, probably the first ICO for a token, is trading at $25.53, though it spent the bear market between $10 and $20, and often below $10. Bancor's BNT is trading at $3.63, this despite failing to trade above $1 from November 2018 to June of 2020. OX's ZRX token is trading at $0.86, cents, a price it fell below in August 2018, not to see it again until this past February. Tezos' XTZ is doing well, Brave's basic attention token set a new all-time high in this bull market, and sits right now within striking distance of its last one. Of course, everyone's gotten a big bump as the overall market went up. Everything is, after all, very correlated. And the difference today is those things were largely just ideas then, and they're products now. A few still seem to be struggling. Kin's price remains something like it's always been, and Status's SNT also looks like it can't catch the old spark. Still, by and large, the big projects that raised most of their funds up front by selling off a token for usage before there was anything to use, almost always in lieu of selling equity in their company, don't seem to have cut and run and are starting to find markets. This goes against the received wisdom in the broader crypto culture, where the term ICO has become a digital one. But not everyone sees it that way, though. Quote, I think ICOs, regardless of their regulatory status, just conceptually represent a new technological way of forming capital, Jake Bruckman, founder of CoinFund, said. In particular, he noted the venture capital world tends to follow certain scripts or heuristics that can make it hard for new ideas to get the resources they need. Quote, 
What the ICO boom allowed us to do is allocate some capital to some ideas that seem crazy, Bruckman said. Keld van Schrieven, a co-founder of a European digital asset investment company, KR1, took it a step further, quote, I think it's the greatest funding mechanism we've ever invented, he said. It was like a really beautiful house party, but it got gatecrashed by people that ruined it, end quote. KR1 had invested in the data product Bluezel, the blockchain ecosystem Cosmos, and, in particular, it went very long on the platform for funds, now known as Enzyme, but formerly known as Melonport, among others. He continued, The impact of the ICO boom is, first of all, it created a lot of attention and a lot of marketing around digital assets. We wouldn't be where we are today in terms of mindshare. Bruckman said, quote, Our first fund, it definitely operated during the ICO era. That launched in July of 2015. It was very small and experimental. It actually did very well. CoinFund bought projects like Augur, Filecoin, and NewCypher, for example. Continuing the quote, It's only this year that some of those assets, like Definity, for example, came to fruition, Bruckman said. While declining to go into details, Bruckman made it clear that this first fund has been a success. Kava gives you the ability to earn more by connecting the world's largest cryptocurrencies, ecosystems, and financial applications on DeFi's most trusted, scalable, and secure earning platform. Kava is an institutional-grade cross-chain engine built to scale on the largest decentralized proof-of-stake network. With loan APYs as low as 0% and reward APYs as high as 200%, Kava is the safest place for you to grow your digital portfolio. Mint stablecoins, lend, borrow, earn, and swap safely across the world's biggest crypto assets with Kava. To learn more, visit kava.io slash marketsdaily. Looking to make the most of your crypto assets? Nexo.io's got you covered. Grow your wealth securely with Nexo's high-yield interest accounts. Buy crypto on your terms directly within Nexo's platform and start earning daily compounding interest right away. Get the cash you need without selling your crypto from just 6.9% APR. Instantly swap between 100 crypto and traditional currency pairs. And don't worry, Nexo is insured against losses up to $375 million. Get the most of your crypto at nexo.io. That's nexo.io. Did you know that there are 4,000 crypto assets in the market today? There's only one network that makes your crypto mobile. Celo's mobile-first platform makes financial dApps and crypto payments accessible to anyone with a mobile phone. Celo's eco-friendly proof-of-stake consensus mechanism and phone verification protocol makes it easy for you to spend, send, stake, and earn Celo assets and stablecoins all from your mobile phone. Visit Celo.org and download Celo-compatible dApps today. That's C-E-L-O Everyone acknowledges that a lot of bad projects and bad actors took advantage of the approach before long, but Van Schrieven said that from where he sat, there were also a lot of well-intentioned projects. To him, it wasn't hard to tell which had potential and which were obviously nonsense. But people are good at talking themselves into bad decisions when there's a boom. Quote, it's the frailty of the human. People want to be in something blowing up, he admitted. Gregory DePrisco launched a fund in 2017 called Distributed Capital, which persists today, but in a different form. Quote, we saw the opportunity set as, there's this new type of asset on Ethereum, and there's only five of them now. We think there are going to be a lot more, he said. The new asset was tokens, most of which would follow the ERC-20 standard. There were hardly any when distributed started, but DePrisco and his colleagues knew more would come. Even if Ethereum proved to be hopeless, DePrisco said they viewed it this way, quote, we're almost certainly going to be right about the desire to buy them and trade, end quote. At that time, he said, there were hardly any tokens yet and few other funds participating in them. Very few pools of money funded by limited partners 
had rules that allowed for anything like cryptocurrency. DePrisco said the playing field at that time for pre-sales and early ICO bets was limited. Across the various investors we spoke to, the leaders in token purchases early on seem to have been Polychain, Pantera, Venbushi Capital, CoinFund, and to a lesser extent the Digital Currency Group because it still preferred equity deals. And as a disclosure, DCG owns Coindesk, and my company Tokenly has taken investment in the past from Fenbushi VC. Pantera Capital launched a fund known as the Pantera ICO Fund, which has since rebranded to the Early Stage Token Fund. A Pantera partner said in a phone call, quote, We felt there was an opportunity to create a fund just to invest in projects that were releasing tokens, end quote. But to do so early on, in pre-sales and before the projects launched. We figured people could access Bitcoin and Ethereum, so we figured, just do an exclusively early stage projects for investors, he said. That fund was easily filled and it remains an open-ended hedge fund with over a billion dollars of assets under management. It's continued to make active investments, so it's not limited to the ICO era, but it still holds a large quantity of tokens from that time. DOT, OGN, and other early projects from that era. The fund has made itself an active participants in the communities it's invested in. Quote, we're staking, we're providing liquidity, we're providing governance and voting, all that stuff. End quote. On average, Pantera holds for three years, looking at itself as a long-term partner, at least on a crypto timescale, but he said, quote, there are times when the returns are so high it makes sense to take a little off the table, end quote. So it's exited part of some positions and even made significant shifts when there were material changes in the company. The bear market was not easy, however. Quote, quite a few of the tokens that we invested in 2017-2018 hit a rough patch during the bear market, they said. We didn't do the flips and dumps and things like that, and therefore we had to write it through. We actually didn't lose that many investors, end quote. Some left, but many stuck around. The fund posted strong returns through 2020 and so far into 2021. From January 2020 to the present, it's up 2,807%, according to Pantera. The ICO boom days were a very strange time, and one in which some of the investors we spoke to took bold moves that don't typically fall within the bounds defined by best practices for investing. For example, both Distributed and KR1 decided to go extremely long on one token, MKR and MLN, respectively. Ben Shreven called the bet on Melonport fund suicide, though it turned out to be anything but. The MLN token for the project now known as Enzyme trades at $105. It still hasn't cracked its prior all-time high, but it's well above what it sold for early on. They said KR1's investment there is up well over 1,000%. It's also up more than 10,000% on its investment on Atom, the Cosmos coin. The time was so buzzy that it started to attract Web2 professionals who quickly realized how limited was the blockchain space. Folks who were used to having lots of developer tooling to work with found Web3 lacking. Not all the investors from that era looked back on ICOs favorably, though. DePrisco's fund did very well in part because it got out of so many positions at the top. He still thinks that, by and large, the 2017 ICO approach isn't a healthy one. Quote, I found that fundraising mechanism hamstrung a lot of projects, they said, explaining that companies should not raise all of their funding up front. It forces them to put too much energy into treasury management and not enough into making something good. And if they get it wrong, they can get largely wiped out. Case in point, messaging startup status raised nearly 300,000 ETH in 2017, worth over $100 million at the time but was still forced into laying off 25% of its staff in 2018. But that doesn't mean the ICO form wasn't taking investing in a direction that has potential. Even Van Shreven admits things got out of hand, quote, At the tail end of it, I think probably there was bad money allocated. The vast portion was people with good intentions, they said. Quote, Blockchain technology can create hyper-efficient ways of forming capital. Now, secondarily, let's go find legal frameworks for that and make it work, Bruckman said.
Still, Van Schreven remembers it fondly, quote, The ICO should be held up as one of the breakthrough moments for technology on the funding side, he said, lamenting that it's gone back to more of a venture capital mode to put the handbrake on it, end quote. And that's our show for today. Thanks very much for listening. This episode was edited by Adrian Blust, and you can send us an email at podcast.coindesk.com. We'll be back tomorrow with another weekend story. And just a reminder that Coindesk is a new source and does not provide investment advice. 